podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. And Trace Trolko here. Welcome to the Sons of UCF Live. This week we are breaking down clips from football spring camp. We hear high praise from Penny Hardaway and women's hoops goes dancing. Let us welcome in the Sons of UCF, Adam and Mike, in anybody's bracket, a couple of number one seeds. I've been saying that for years, Trace. I'm glad you've. Uh, we're, we we might be number one. It's still debatable where we are on that seeding <laughs> chart. Uh, at least we're not on the bubble, though. Hey, I made it here at eight o'clock. I thought for sure we started at eight thirty. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's because we record our weekly podcast at eight thirty every week, and then we did the show last week at eight thirty. I almost missed the first half hour of this thing. It's uh, Mike standard time. You set the clocks an hour or something like that. It has something to do with that. That's usually how it is in my family. He tells people at eight o'clock. They don't show up till nine, so it's kind of standard for us Ecuadorians. Ecuadorians, that's right. You know, what's good about the show and the timing of it in the week on Thursdays, we can catch some breaking news and some today. Another transfer coming to UCF football, a BYU linebacker, Herkley Latu, transferring to Hawaii, transferring to UCF, a Hawaii connection, the 808 back to the 407, a three-star with three years of eligibility, another big boom for Gus Malzahn today. Yeah, that was a lot of numbers. Here's the one number I don't know is he only played one game, I think, right, in, in 2020. Uh, I don't think he played at all in 2019. So the number I don't know is the number of, of, of tackles he's going to make for us in the upcoming seasons because I don't know if we've seen him play uh, all that much. Obviously, you, you'd like to see the pipeline continue from Hawaii to Orlando. You know, it continues to show uh, Dylan Gabriel's probably leadership and influence there. Uh, we, we know we needed some depth at the linebacker spot. And so if, if this kid can, uh, can provide that, I'm all in for it. But just based on numbers alone, I don't know what we're getting. But, uh, you know, depth is certainly not uh, something you need to have in a college football team. And if he provides that, I'm all in for that. I just saw you added this to the show sheet about 30 seconds before we came on here. Uh, is this the kid? How old is he? Usually these guys are. Um, <laughs> these he's guys been are on a, a Mormon mission, so he's 34 years old. Um, okay. Becomes, he's almost as old as us. Now, was he a part of the uh, Boca Bowl that we experienced? Did he play in that game? Because if so, we'll take anybody from that BYU team that crushed us that night. They apparently he are much watched, better than us. He watched that game and knew right away that he could make a contribution, <laughs> a meaningful contribution right away. Well, spring camp began for UCF football this week. Gus Malzahn's first. Uh, you talked about Monday, the first day with media availabilities had another media availability and a glimpse at practice. And something that's nice about this show is we can look at the videotape. You guys always talk about it on your show. And uh, we have a couple of clips that if we slice and dice and dissect, clearly we can get a feel for the upcoming 2021 season, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm here for two things, right? I'm, I'm here to understand what the team is going to look like, but I'm here for the pettiness. There, there may be a couple of petty jabs here and there, right? We at the Suns UCF pride ourselves on the show of speculation. Reckless speculation uh, is actually probably more of our lane. Uh, so I'm here for all the clips, but I mean, it's exciting to hear these guys excited again. Um, and, you know, it, it does feel a little different, right? I, I obviously, every year, everybody comes in. They're really excited. They're in the best shape of their lives. They can't wait and blah, 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 blah. But it does feel like this is a little bit different. I feel like I do see a little bit more, um, dare I say, juice uh, in, in the guys this year in terms of the media stuff. Will it translate on the field? Who the hell knows? But right now, I definitely enjoy seeing uh, the excitement level on, on a bunch of the players that we've seen so far in the media stuff. 
I mean, we're still only getting the first 20 minutes of these practices, right? I mean, you know, Tracy doing a great job bringing us these videos every week. But what are we seeing here? We guys, guys smacking each other on the shoulders with the pads and getting their hands. It's, I mean, I know we all get excited. It is football stuff, and I love seeing people break down each one of these throws. That's what I really look forward to in the preseason is getting cost-tech advisors, slow-motion replays of each guy's <laughs> throw, and, and see who's got the best form right now. Kosek was too busy looking at the building colors, if you ask me, which, by the way, was a great catch because I don't great think anyone catch. has noticed that as well. Yeah, Great catch uh, as they uh, start to paint over Nicholson. But uh, we do get to see more than we saw in the Josh Heupel era. Usually that was just warming up. Our segment that we're allowed to be out on the practice fields is about 20 minutes, uh, 9.20 to 9.40. What's interesting is that initially UCF put out in its media release that we would be permitted to see that 20 minutes each day of practice. And after one day of that, they reversed course and said that Coach Malzahn would let us out there from time to time, but not every single practice for 20 minutes. Uh, Mike, you mentioned dissecting the plays. Adam's got one queued up of some uh, about 22 seconds or thereabouts of some quarterback play. Uh, I will say Dylan Gabriel out with the ones, Quadri Jones out with the twos, derived from that what you will. Well, do you, do you want to see the play? I mean, I've got the play queued up, Trace. Sure. Let's do let's do some frame by frame, uh, Zabruder film. Let me kill the sound here for you here. Uh, so this looks like uh, this looks like Quadri in the first play here. You can't really see what happened there. That moved pretty quickly. Here's Parker Navarro. Uh, that's a good uh, Trace. Bad camera work. I don't know who that went to. This one right here, though. What are we doing here? I'm I'm concerned. Parker Navarro screen pass went about a yard and a half. Uh, that didn't really Ooh, get to anybody. Too. Yeah, I, let's, do the, let's watch this all again here. This is a lot happening at the same time. <laughs> Quadri off his back foot. I, I mean, I got to get that a little more, the base a little more centered there. Looked like a good catch. Again, Trolko, can we get a little bit better camera shot here? I mean, what, what happened I here? Will, I don't even know. I will work on that. All right. And then Parker Navarro again. Uh, ground ball to second. Uh, he's safe. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, is that nine or great. ten wins, Mike? What do you see there? Well, based on the, that video – Three or four, maybe is the better. <laughs> but we didn't see any uh, Dylan Gabriel, so um, that's our main guy. I'm not too worried yet. We also saw Mr. Obarski making some kicks. Now, I'm using my phone here, okay? And the farther away I, I, I pull out on it, I can catch the trajectory of the ball. But if I zoom in, I can't follow it uh, quickly enough. I know, Adam, you've got that queued up as well. And I love the question that you asked on social media. Uh, did he make the kick? And of course the answer is just going to be yes. Uh, you know? Yeah, sure. Sure. He made the kick. It's up, yeah, it's I can't tell on this one. It looks like uh, not a lot of pressure. I'm concerned about our special teams. I don't think we had a lot of a lot of pressure on him on this one here. This guy right here just kind of put his hands up. I, I don't know if I like that uh, from a tactical Hey, freeze standpoint. it right there. Do you, can you go back real quick? I will we'll do see the I building. We'll see the yeah, building. Coming up. Coming up. There it is. Yeah. Definitely gray right there. Definitely some gray. On the side facing the new, yeah. the new building. Uh, yeah. You can see that. But can we just go back really quickly here? Let me just, I mean, this guy right here just has his hands up. These guys have hands up. I think that's Jaden Francois. I think he wore 23. Um, good to see him on the field, but like a little more effort of him next time. <laughs> Where are the pictures of the cutouts? I know Trace has a cutout out there. I don't see any cutouts in that frame right there. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah, one, Mike. yeah. Did did you read the rundown, Mike? It's it's coming soon. <laughs> no, he, he looked at that. He looked at it thirty seconds before we started, but he was a half hour early from when he thought he was supposed to be there. So <laughs> take what you can get. Well, I hold will on, Tracy. Say, we, we have we have one more kicker one. Do you want to get to the kicker one really oh, quickly? You have your realize. second oh, version. Right. Another kicker one. You have your second version here. Let me kill the sound here. Let me start this thing over. Moves kind of quick on me here. This is the more zoomed-in version. You can definitely tell it's Obarski. That's probably too many men in the field. That guy should be on the field right there. Um, no idea if that went in, though. No idea. This guy right here in the hat, I don't know who he is. Um, he seems important, though. Uh, a lot of guys in the field. A lot of hands up. Hands up. I feel like the wave just broke out. No idea if it went in. It looked like it was in bounds, though. I can tell you that. I can confirm exclusively this kick appears to be in bounds. All right, now that we've figured out how to successfully do this, oh. I will work on my camera work at the next opportunity I have, which uh, the media has opportunities to speak uh, with players Friday, and then there's opportunity when they uh, play uh, practice in the bounce house. I have a work commitment, so I can't get you any fresh video Saturday, but hope to on Monday, uh, and we'll plan to dissect a few more 
uh, parts of spring practice. I got to say, though, this week, the most impressive video has been all of that that Mike has called together for his March Madness brackets. I think, in fact, it may be the finest work you've ever done uh, while associated with the Sons of UCF. I've been very impressed by these brackets and the way you put together the videotape. I have a, qu I have a question, though, about this, though. I wondered why, and I'm not being critical because I think it's tremendous. I love watching each of the clips that you put together. Why didn't you pair kickers together or certain position groups? What went into your process in putting them together? No, I seeded it just like I would a tournament, like the, the March Madness tournament. So I came up with the importance of plays. I went with the one seeds and 16 seeds like that. Eventually, if they match up, kicks match up against each other later down the line, then it happens that way. But I, I didn't have that in mind when I did it. It is my masterpiece. It's probably the greatest thing I created <laughs> outside of my two daughters. Uh, this is probably the next best thing I've ever done. And I know they're watching right now, so hello, girls. Um, but, yeah, it, it's been a lot of fun making these videos, man. And going back and seeing some of these old plays that I, really some of them I haven't seen in years. So it's been really cool. And I know a lot of young fans out there probably didn't even see any of these plays or maybe not. we're not even born when some of these plays happen. And we have upcoming ones, Mike. Let's uh, let's go quickly to this. So there's a there's a lot of different things. I'm I'm rolling the uh, the the results thus far of the uh, the tournament here on the screen. But uh, you've got uh, you've got one coming up soon. You're going to release that. I think is going to get some people um, really kind of in a tither because there's a, this is a tough choice here. So let me let me roll this here. You tell us a little bit about what we're seeing here, and uh, and and give us a handicap on this one. I believe we have a 6-11 matchup here in this one. I forget which bracket it's in. But the first play, Bortles to Perryman against the Cows. The very first time we beat the Cows in 2013. There he is hitting them for the go-ahead touchdown late in the fourth quarter. We go on to win that game. We've beaten them now, I believe, what, six out of seven times or something since then. Um, a great play, great touchdown. We struggled that night with a few turnovers early. And finally, we're able to, to break the curse against those guys because they beat us the first four times we played them. And then these, this one, can you imagine somebody scoring six touchdowns in one game and being an 11 seed in the tournament? I mean, that just shows how spoiled we've been as UCF fans for these last few years. We had so many great plays. And Daryl Mack that night put us on his back in the second half of that game, ran four touchdowns in. I know the fifth touchdown was the one to Otis the piece out. I couldn't remember what the sixth touchdown was. Do you remember which one that was? It had to be early in the game. Mm. Mm. Catching us cold on that one. I wish you'd <laughs> ask these questions in advance. I, I will say yeah. the 11 wins in the uniform battle. The 11 wins that one clearly in the uniforms. Um, that's up for debate. I mean, the, the two, no. <laughs> the two, no, it's not up for debate. <laughs> no, not up for debate. Yeah, but they're so bad that they're so memorable. The ones that oh. we've had these last few years, I mean. I, Are I so good they're forgettable? Is that what yeah, you're going yeah. with? Guess what? Just now, until I saw that video, I couldn't have told you what uniforms we wore that night. You asked me what uniform we wore that night on Black Friday against the Cows in 2013. Everybody remembers which one it was. Uh. The helmet with the black stripe. Come on. Those are classics. <laughs> classics. <laughs> Classic. Once in a you, you've got 64 of these, and you've been rolling them out throughout the day, every day. Yeah, I'm putting out four per day. So the first round is going to last about eight days. We're right in the middle of it now. Um, and then after that, well, I may slow it down. I want it to last for a couple weeks. I, I think uh, the way we're doing it now is working out pretty good. I, I usually put one out in the morning, one around lunchtime, maybe one around dinner, and then one around bedtimes. So kind of space them out for everybody. And just to orient that, uh, that other touchdown was a four-yard uh, reception from Jake Hesk uh, to Jake Hescock from Daryl Mack Jr. The forgotten sixth touchdown of that game. When you score you that many the, touchdowns, you're bound to forget one. Right? And you see the results on the bottom here. So in no surprise, Mike Hughes, the one seed, probably the overall one seed uh, over Sharif Rashad. The bounce house brackets played a lot of games. Otis beat Storm Johnson's uh, Penn State TD 24-7 over, uh, over Bortles to Wharton. And then Storm Johnson in a comeback effort, his Louisville TD over uh, over Rennell Hall second in the Baylor game. We've got the water tower bracket, the catch over Otis's punt return TD. And then we have Memory Mall goal line stand of Houston over KZ flip to AZ or KZ to AK. I thought that was an upset. <laughs> uh, KZ's touchdown over the goalpost versus Marshall and Davin Bush over Mac to Otis peace out. That's a big upset in my opinion, Mike. I don't know who how many people have that one coming. Hey, I, I put it as a six seed for a reason. That's a big play in a big game. The, the Otis to Mac 
I mean, that's, that's a good, a fun touchdown, but the young guys don't remember the other one. That's why you thought they was going to lose. But the play itself, I think, is a better play, the interception for a touchdown. Very impressive. Follow this at Sons of UCF and your Twitter, right, at UCF Mike one You'll be releasing those throughout the day. Every day, some of the finest work you have ever done. I have enjoyed the trip down memory lane. I hope fans have as well. Mentioned that spring camp began this week. You featured uh, some of the reaction to Dylan Gabriel, Coach Malzahn, Anthony Montalvo speaking on Monday. Wednesday, we got to speak with a couple of players, and that includes linebacker Eric Gilliard, who was asked about his being a leader on this team's defense. Leading by example, uh, that's kind of my thing. Um, if you ask around, I'm not really much of a big talker. I like to lead by my actions. So just doing the right things and following the coach's lead, you know, uh, being able for them to count on me to do what they need me to do, I know the younger guys will follow my steps and do the same. I laughed when he laughed about being one of the older guys now. Uh, he joked about he didn't realize that now he was considered part of the old guard. Yeah, Dylan Gabriel made the same comment, right? He looked around and realized he was a veteran all of a sudden, and, and probably the same with Gilliard. Listen, Gilliard's a guy that, you know, he was, um, there's a lot of hype uh, around him coming into UCF. I think he played really well in that 2018 season. Uh, Pat Jasinski went out for a while. I know Gilliard stepped in and, and played really well. Um, I think I think 19 and 20 were years that we thought he'd take that step forward. I don't know if we, we really saw all that stuff. Uh, so I'm curious to see how he performs under the tutelage of T. Will, uh, who obviously a former linebacker, a lot of energy. Um, I think Gilliard's got a, a lot of potential, but he's definitely somebody I think that uh, I'm looking to see if he takes that next next step this year under new leadership. We've been looking for a linebacker to step up these last couple of years. We had Nate Evans a couple of years ago. Last year, the linebacker position was kind of in flux. We didn't really have that leadership. And hopefully Gilliard now is ready to take the reins there. And, I mean, that's the one position, I think, on defense that we're most worried about going into the next season. What I thought was interesting, one of the things that Coach Malzahn said on Monday is that they were going to use six practices to install uh, the uh, playbook and then the next six to reinstall it. So uh, while they say that they're going to go slow, they are progressing, all leading up to a spring game, a glorified scrimmage at the Bounce House Saturday, April 10th at noon. Some restrictions, fans upset, no tailgating, 25% capacity. Not that this is a game that has ever drawn a big crowd, but, you know, tailgating is a big part of the day. Do you guys plan to go? I'd like to. Um, we'll see what the you know schedule looks like. It's a noon game. It's going to be pretty warm out that day. Um, you know, it's a short little drive down for me. I haven't been to a, a game in the stadium in a couple of years now, so I'd love to, to get a chance to get out there. Um, not a fully, uh, not fully commit. I'm a verbal commit right now. Um, but we'll, we'll see, uh, we'll see how it transpires, but I definitely would love to get out there and watch a little UCF football. I've actually never made it up to a spring game. I don't plan on this being my first one with it being a noon game for sure. Uh, definitely not. And I have other plans going on that day, but if they would have mixed in some other activities for the day, you got to make that a, a day long thing for guys that coming out of, from out of town to go up there and watch a practice for a couple hours. We're probably, I mean, after the first hour, everybody gets pretty bored in that thing. I, I think they need to take our advice, do a little something before the game, maybe have some other festivities. I know it's hard this year with the whole COVID stuff, so I give them a pass. But having it at noon is a bit of a mistake in my book. Well, you saw, I think it was uh, in the Orlando Sentinel piece, um, you saw Mohadra made a reference of, I think he said, quote, they weren't going to have a spring game. Uh, which I assume means Danny White and previous administration were not planning a spring game prior to, uh, you know, prior to him leaving. So it sounds like Mohadra's kind of stepping in and saying we are going to have a uh, a spring game. But if I read that correctly, and if you guys read it differently, let me know. But it, it, I read it as if to say that there was nothing planned until he got there and Gus got there. Um, I didn't see that, so I, I don't know. I like the reference to they, the old guard, they. Hey, sorry. Was that yeah. th this place? Uh, what do you want me to do? This place. Oh, trying. Another person that we spoke with on Wednesday was offensive lineman Cole Schneider. He's another one that has really echoed the uh, the difference in this camp. You know, going in, there's some apprehension, right? They guys don't know with the uh, athletic director leaving, Danny White, with uh, Josh Heupel leaving, all of the coaches leaving, and you're left there with Randy Shannon, basically. Uh, running things for a couple of weeks. So there's a great deal of uncertainty. They have, it seems, by all accounts, really warmed uh, to Coach Malzahn, and that's something that uh, Cole Schneider spoke up. 
He's a high energy guy, and I love it. You know, he's he's straightforward. He's going to tell you what he wants, and he, we're we're going to perform for him. He's he's. I mean, I really like it. I really like how our practice is, is uh, shaped, and we're just go 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 go. We're going to get it done. We're going to get all of our work as many reps as we can in the time that we have, and uh, I think it's great. Honestly, he does a great job of that, and um, I, I'm looking forward to the rest of spring ball with him. And of course, it was Dylan Gabriel on Monday who noted that this practice was organized, uh, more organized than in previous years, which I thought was interesting. But they seem to have taken to Coach Malzahn and staff. And while we don't get a lot of uh, opportunity to watch, uh, it is a little bit more. We're seeing a little bit more than just warming up. Uh, so, uh, so far, they're off to a good start. Yeah, it's listen, we do this every year, right? We overanalyze practice video. We just did it a second ago. Um, but again, I, I do feel like there's a bit of a different energy. I think anytime you have a new regime, a new coach, um, sort of a new philosophy, uh, new ideas, I do think there's a bit of an energy to it. I do like that the players are excited. We're going to we're gonna play a cut uh, later on from our interview with Otis Anderson this week. And he talks a little bit about, you know, maybe maybe this is what you need, not what you want. And, and it yeah. feels like in this instance, you know, the, the players, they, they've got a coach who's done, who's done stuff before they've got a veteran staff who have been a part of um, some big teams and some big programs and some big wins and and it, it seems like a lot of that stuff's being you know kind of shared with the with the team and they're so receptive to it right now it almost feels like they were craving a little bit of something different a little bit of uh, a little different coaching i think dylan gabriel used the word that gus said he was going to coach him hard um, and i think that's interesting to, to think about that that players are really looking for that and it seems like um, so far, they've adapted to the philosophy that that may be what's coming their way. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited that they're excited for it because I think the converse would have been a disaster. But the fact that they're you know accepting a challenge uh, and they're welcoming a challenge and they're welcoming something new, I think, speaks to their maturity and hopefully the the you know the cohesiveness of this group. Um, and, and maybe that'll manifest itself in some W's in 2021. When Heupel took over after Frost, we were worried about the team because everybody had that connection with Frost. We don't know how close the guys were. We know how upset they were when he left. When we spoke to Otis Anderson this week, he told us the same thing. A lot of guys probably thought about leaving and going with him. Now when Hypo leaves, there was a big question of how they were going to react to the new coach. Everybody wanted Levy. We got Malzahn, but everybody has reacted favorably, and they seem to have been taken to his staff as well. So good signs so far in the first week of camp. Earlier, Mike, you mentioned the cardboard cutouts. They are arranged in the uh, at the practice field a good friend of mine randy and his son james surprised me with a cardboard cutout which adam will show i am overlooking practice i get to see all of practice uh beyond that limited amount of time that i get to physically be in there i want you to take a look at this and i've also uh want to show the contrast with uh, one of our women's basketball players i've got this happy face that uh uh that uh, my friend randy pulled from the internet somewhere or as libby said uh, that uh, it was a mugshot, but I think I needed to have this pose from Diamond Battles of the UCF women's basketball team. This fierceness, uh, and uh, uh, I, I think I look too friendly out there. I think I need to look more like Diamond. What do you think? First, unfortunate placement on those zip ties, Trace. I feel bad for that because those are in a really <laughs> unfortunate spot. I think that could have been done a little bit smoother. I think UCF is getting one over on you there. You've got a half smile on your face. Um, I see the headphones on. I assume you're broadcasting something. Um, one can only imagine what was running through your mind at that moment in time. I see the spectacles on as well. I, I don't think we've seen spectacle Trace Chalco in a while. Uh, so it's more of a studious look. Uh, but again, the the zip ties are just unfortunate positioning on that one. That's a That's a tough break. <laughs> A little disappointed you didn't use the the photo that Koseg sent us last week. I thought that was going to make an appearance. Uh, could have used a, a Sons of UCF hat, but you said you did, you're did. you not the one who submitted the picture, so I'll give you a little pass on it, I guess. I did not submit the picture. You can see behind me George, the cardboard cutout, George O'Leary wearing the Sons of UCF hat this week. Uh, he is donning the hat. So Diamond Battles, uh, before we uh, move too far along in the show, I got to tell you, congratulations to the UCF women's basketball team. They, number 10 seed in the NCAA tournament, highest seed ever, second time in three seasons, UCF earning the at-large bid. Knights are 16 and four. They're going to face the seven seed Northwestern. That's Monday at four on ESPNU. After the announcement, we had opportunity to talk to Coach Abe and diamond battles let's hear from diamond just the nervousness that she felt waiting and waiting throughout that hour-long show to hear ucf's name called 
was very nervous. I mean, when they said UCLA, we thought it was us. So we were just like, you know, we had a lot of jitters, but um, we just, you know, just, we just waited it out and we're just so excited. That's all I could say. Big news for the ladies. We wish them luck. Uh, they're all in Texas in a bubble for this game. And I think they have a good chance of winning this game. Uh, we're going to bring in two guests now, one who's written on football, one who's written on the women's basketball team. They are Bailey Adams and Christian Simmons, co-hosts of a little bit of a competitor for the Sons of UCF, the Pegasus podcast. They also write for at Night Sports Now. Let's begin with Christian, who has uh, been on a live show before with uh, us. You wrote about the expectations that fans have going into the 2021 season. So I asked a poll question, how many games do you expect UCF to win to see how fans would, uh, you know, mesh against that, uh, that column that you wrote? 20% said 12 wins, 25% uh, said 11. So nearly half of our fans who responded to this poll expecting 11 or 12 wins, uh, you a little more tempered in your response. I am pleasantly surprised that it's not more than half of UCF fans because every conversation I seem to have on Twitter, the consensus is, well, if Heupel was the coach, they would have been five and seven. But now we have Gus Malzahn. So even though the defense just gave up 31 points per game and uh, all the offensive production is gone, we're not going to be 12 and 0. So I'm actually kind of pleasantly surprised that it's only half the fan base that seems to think it's going to be that good. As I talked about in the column, I just, I think it's fine to have high expectations. I mean, it, that's kind of the whole point of the UCF's fandom at this point is everyone wants to get back to 2017, but I just hate to see all that Malzahn hype go right out the window when they're nine and three and everyone's like, well, what are we talking about? He said we were going to make the playoff and now suddenly we're not there anymore. And then all the everyone's off the gust bus before he even, you know, got out of the gate. Bailey, how would you vote? Nine, 10, 11, 12? My, I think I did vote. I voted 10. I, I think 10 is the, the spot for me. And we've talked about it a little bit on our podcast. It's just, I don't know. I can't, I can't see the 11 or 12 win hype just yet. I think there's still some issues with, the roster and with the defense, we're not a lot of unknowns, but I think it's, it's still a roster. It's a talented roster. It's a good coaching staff. I think they can win 10 games. Christian, what do you think are, um, are some goals for Gus Malzahn this come, upcoming season? If you were him and you were kind of writing down the things that you want to accomplish in year one at UCF with, to your point, all the things that you, you mentioned about, you know, where the, where the team is, what, what would the goals be for you? Well, I think if you're looking back at the last couple of years, I think one of the main goals is going to be, if you're going to lose games, then lose them on talent, lose them on where players are at. Don't lose them on dumb mistakes. Don't lose them on coaching. I feel like that's been part of what's made the last couple of years so difficult is it's not necessarily that UCF lost games, but it's that they have games where they blew double digit leads. They had games where it was questionable, questionable decisions. So if you can just get back to the point where I think that a six and two record in the AAC would be solid. I think you just need to show that you're back in that group of programs and just not blowing games over dumb things, show that you have the talent where once you progress a little bit into 2022 and from there on, you can go back to being the force in this conference that UCF has pretty much been since the conference was formed and that we want to see them be every year. You talk about how tough the schedule is. I, I'm looking at it. I see Boise State coming in, but they're coming in with a new coach too, and that game's at home. We got Louisville. They haven't been very tough the last few years. And the conference, I mean, I guess Cincinnati on the road is a tough one, but is there a game on there that you say we have no chance of winning? I, I don't see the schedule as tough as you guys see it. No chance of winning. Bailey, you want to take that? <laughs> I feel I mean, like I, any I don't, a chance I, I don't see a game on the schedule that don't have any chance of winning. And I, I think, you know, it, it's one of those weird things where they could, you know, if everything goes right, they could win every game. I just don't know if they're going to have everything fixed from last year. And, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of breaks, I think, to go undefeated. So I, I think they're going to have a chance. I think they're going to be in every game. But I, I think there's one or two maybe that can go, you know, the wrong way. But, yeah, I mean, totally. They're definitely, they're definitely talented enough, and they definitely have, I think, everything in place to be in every game, and they could win every game. I just don't – I don't feel comfortable making that projection or that prediction. I will say that I don't think they the, – um, uh, Oh, go ahead. So I, I will say that I'm not going to say either of them are not winnable, but I would be pretty shocked if they come away from Cincy and Memphis back to back and take both those games. You're playing the two premier programs in the conference. There aren't you. It's going to be tough to win both of those. What do you think this fan base's reaction would be to losing the home opener to Boise state under Gus Malzahn? Bad. I don't, <laughs> really I don't want to know. Bad. I don't think I want to think about it. <laughs> oh man that would be how quickly is the Malzahn hype gone if they lose that game especially if it was like I could I guess I could see if it was a close loss like a like a th if they lose like 34 31 it's like okay well whatever you 
went toe to toe with the best group of five program historically. But if they lose, if they lose bad or lose by ten or something, they, they, uh, I don't want to be. I don't want to see the attendance for the Bethune game after that. <laughs> I feel like any type of loss is going to be met with just the uh, meltdown. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know if they're in. Anybody's going to be into moral victories. Well, they only lost by three. I think it's going to be a big issue if they lose the opener. All right, let me ask you this. So on a, on a 100% pie chart and the excitement level of UCF fans right now, what percent of UCF fans are excited that Gus Malzahn is here? And what percent of fans are excited that Josh Heupel is not? What's your percentage pie chart on that? I'll start with you, Christian. Ooh. Well, I guess like even going into this, I would have been in the 1% of the pie chart that didn't necessarily need Heupel to be out the door at the end of last season. So I guess already there, but that's a good question. I guess I would say that Mm, that's a good one. I bet that more fans are actually happy that Heupel's gone than happy as Gus is here because I, I feel like we got to remember that first night and we're really leading up to that press conference. There was a good chunk of the fan base that on Twitter that wasn't happy. They're like, what happened? We thought it was going to be Levy. We don't want, you know, we don't want this washed up SEC or whatever. And that pretty much changed after his presser. But when Danny White took Heupel with him to Tennessee, it was, it was like the end scene in Star Wars where it was just celebrating when the Emperor died. Like the United <laughs> Nation was just like through the roof excited. So I feel like most of the people are on that and in the chart. Leo with the extra hologram in there of Hayden Christensen at the end, the extra cut. I, I think I want to be a little bit more optimistic and say 55% would be more excited that Gus is here and 45% would be more happy that Heupel's gone. But I think it's it's right there. I think it's like it's almost split to me. I know you guys are trying to level the expectations of people. Do you think it's really that bad to have these high expectations? Because I got to tell you, when Adam and I were there 20 years ago, there were no expectations. Nobody really <laughs> thought we were going to win anything. Nobody really cared. And I know it can get a little annoying, I guess, when we have a meltdown here and there because we lost the game. But I think that's a good thing in the way the fan base is headed. Well, it's definitely better from when I was a kid because I've been going to UCF games pretty much my whole life. And I remember there was a time where it would be like, oh, it's like it's an even year, so they're going to lose eight games. And that's fine. Like you figure it out pretty quick in the season. Oh, yeah, this is a four and eight season. Whatever. We'll be back next year. It was fine. I'm glad those days are gone where we're back to like fans actually want – UCF to be top of the conference and demand that. And I think the expectations on their surface are good. I just don't want to run into, like, I feel like a classic example is 2019. 2019 is a year that's kind of divisive for fans where it was a 10 win season. UCF finished in the top 25 by all accounts. It's probably a top five, top six season in UCF history. But a lot of people talk about that season. Like it was a horrible year because it didn't meet expectations. And I guess the point is the expectations are great because UCF should be striving for winning this conference every year that they can. But I just hope that people can still appreciate the journey if the expectations aren't met. And it's not necessarily doomsday if it's anything less than what we're hoping for. I love the expectations. I just don't like the results of the expectations when things go wrong. So I, I don't like the aftermath. And I don't know. I I'm, don't think I'm at the same level of leveling everybody out. Like Christian, I think, has taken that role and feels like it's his job to level everybody's expectations out. Because no matter you, – you can't get too high around Christian because he's going to bring you right back down with just some sobering thought or some sobering stat that he looked up. But yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't hate the expectations. I think it's, it's good that the expectations are as high as they are. It's just, I think when expectations aren't met, I think there needs to be a little bit more of a reasonable reaction than we get sometimes. Uh, Adam, is it possible to put under Christian's name, Hypel defender? That's what I've dubbed him on his columns uh, and Twitter posts defending one Josh Heupel. Two weeks ago on this show, we talked about the biggest question each of us had on offense and then last week on defense. For each of you, what are you looking to see come out of spring camp and your biggest concern uh, going into uh, the fall season? Go ahead, Christian. I got to think about uh, this. Yeah, I'd say biggest concern is, and it's not going to be anyone else's concern because this is what everyone else is fine with, is my biggest concern is how Dylan Gabriel is going to fit in the new offense and just how he's going to improve from sophomore and junior year. I know that everyone's really happy with him, and I've kind of been on the lower end of not being as happy with him. He's obviously a great quarterback, one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of the school. I still just feel like he hasn't been dynamic enough to do what UCF needs him to do, and I feel like that's going to be even more of an issue under Malzahn, who, uh, as we've seen in his time at Auburn, does better when he has that versatile quarterback than, you know, like the Bo Nix type that he struggled with this past year. So I think a big thing for me is just can Dylan Gabriel adapt to its new offense and take – another leap even from where he is now to really become that versatile quarterback that UCF needs like what we had under Mackenzie Milton. Yeah. And I, I think I'll go defensively. It's just, what is the defense going to look like? I think when, anytime you have a coaching change and especially coming off of a year that the defense just had, 
it's it's fair to wonder, you know, which guys are still going to be in the starting lineup and who who's going to be replaced. You know, I think I think everybody's jobs are going to be up for grabs, which is a good thing. I think it's good to have that kind of competition. But I'm just curious to see how things are going to shake out on the defensive side of the ball, because last year obviously wasn't acceptable and it, it can't happen again. And especially if UCF's going to take the, the leap this year that everybody wants them to take. I think the offense last year, they had their moments where they struggled, but the defense, I think, was obviously the, the much bigger problem. And they have a long, a long way to go, I think, to kind of get everybody back on their side. Um, and again, with, with a new defensive coordinator, new coaching staff, a lot of guys are going to have new opportunities. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be cool to see some new faces. I think. Terry Mohadra came out and was pretty um, uh, pretty blunt, I guess, in his assessment. He was he said he was quote unquote concerned about the upcoming schedule and and realized that there's a lot of ground to make up. Where are you guys out on scheduling? Two for ones, home and homes, buy games, FCS, top ten teams. What do you think is the right scheduling mix for uh, for UCF Bailey? I'll start with you. I think it's more of a mixture. It's like a mixture of what Mohajer and Malzahn were saying at their opening press conferences and what Danny White wanted. I don't think like I don't think UCF's in the position where they can turn down every single two for one at all times. I think there's something they need to take. And those are probably only a select few programs, like the top, top programs, and honestly don't know if any of them would even be interested in in doing a series with UCF. But I think for the most part, um, I lean a little bit more towards what Danny White wanted because I would say UCF needs that extra home game. They need to have uh, a more favorable schedule that allows them to, you know, play some play some good teams, play the two, you know, two power five teams, one group of five teams, and maybe an FCS. I like that kind of model for the non-conference schedule because it kind of gives you it gives you some challenges, but it also gives you some games to kind of get things right and get ready for the conference schedule. So I think some kind of blend between what Mohajer is looking for and what Danny White was doing is, is where I would land. I think that Danny White. My issue with what Danny White would always say was his defense for not taking two for ones. I know fans sort of turned it into, and rightfully so, well, this is the prestige of the program. But his take was that if you take too many two for ones, it adds up. And eventually you don't have home games on your schedule. You don't have seven or even six home games. UCF still does, I mean, doesn't have home games on the schedule. I mean, I know why Mahadra's freaking out. You go more than a year out and there is nothing. I mean, USF no. is booked through 2028. Not UCF just, has nothing. It's not that they just don't have home games. They just don't have games. There's no games, period. I don't know what they're going to do. Are we going to play FAMU and Bethune-Cookman in the same year? So I get why he's stressed. And I feel like at this point, I don't want to do a two-for-one where the one's a camping world. That's the one thing I'd say no okay. to. But anything else, just get the games on the schedule. I know you guys are really into fashion. I've heard some of your work before. <laughs> Let's ask the important questions here. Are we taking a step up going from the jacket to the sweater vest? and the vi- What are your thoughts on the visors versus a, a typical hat? First off, it was time for the shacket to go. I, I, it was it was time, and that was that. honestly. I know Hypel did a lot of things your fans didn't like. The shacket might have been one on my list of just dude, this isn't it. I think the visors. I, I think that the visor is great, specifically when Malzahn is rocking it. I mean, he knows how to rock that visor, so I'll go visor all the way. I don't know. I, I like the shacket honestly, but I think for the coach that Malzahn is, I don't know. Malzahn the the sweater vest just seems to fit him. And then visor, visor versus hat. I think personally, I can't really pull off a visor, but Malzahn can. And I think, you know, if you can pull it off, I think it's a good look. So Adam wearing a green St. Patrick's Day themed jacket. I think you know where Christian stands on your fashion choice tonight. Let's switch gears now out of football to basketball. Bailey, you've written that Danny White's uh, perhaps the, the greatest hire that he made during his tenure at UCF is Coach Abe. Women's basketball, uh, the 10 seed against Northwestern Monday. You like their chances at beating Northwestern, don't you? I do. Yeah, I do like their chances. And I think what happened in the AAC tournament final, I just think was just was just a bad night. I think you, you know, South Florida couldn't miss for whatever reason. They couldn't miss from three. And there's just going to be some games like that sometimes where – nothing you can really do about it. I know, I know, you know, you don't want to leave those people open, but I think the the defense, the defensive style that coach Abe has implemented at UCF over the last five years or so has just been, it's been a nice shift uh, from what they were doing before. I think someone pointed out to me, I want to say it was on Twitter and they said that the year before she got here, you know, they gave up, I think in the seventies or something like that. And then in one year she had it turned around. So it's just the, the defensive style that she promotes, I think lends itself to, to really stifling teams. And I do like their chances against Northwestern. Let me ask you guys a question I asked Mike on a recent episode of the show, speaking of women's basketball. Uh, will all three of these coaches be back at UCF next year? Greg Lovelady, Johnny Dawkins, and Coach Abe. 
will all three be back at UCF uh, next season? I'll start with you, Christian. I mean, it's interesting because it's kind of different reasons for all of them of why that may or may not be the case. I I don't know what Coach Abe's long-term career ambitions are, but she's more than proven herself for a big-time job. So if she wanted to leave at some point in the future, that's on the table for her. I don't know if that would be the case for her. I mean, she's been here for a while, and she proved herself a long time ago. They had their NCAA tournament appearance a couple years ago. It kind of felt like that would have been the moment for her to jump. Lovely. I don't know what's going on with baseball. I don't know what that's about. The Bailey's the baseball guy. You can tell me. As far as Dawkins, I fans seem like they're kind of done with Dawkins. I think this year was just incredibly difficult. And I think that, you know, them dealing with COVID and basically being shut down for a month and having to sort of claw their way back. And they showed some real progress at the end of the year. So I'm going to go on a limb and say yes. I think all three coaches will be back. If I had to pick one that wouldn't be, it would be Abe. I mean, I'm I'm feel falling in the same line right there. I think I think Lovelady's safe for this year. I think if they you know, I don't know. It depends on how the rest of the year goes. I guess if they just completely tank, then maybe there's a question. But I don't really think there is yet. I think if if they have a bad year this year, and then maybe next year if they're also bad, maybe they they part ways with them. I don't know. I just I don't see. I think there's just been some weird circumstances with baseball over the last couple of years. Because I mean, we never got to see what what unfold last year, which I think really would have been you know a, a tournament year, and, and they were on track to host if if that would have been a possibility. So. I don't, I don't necessarily think he's necessarily on the hot seat yet. The same thing with Dawkins is just, I think, kind of gets an unfair rap at sometimes. And Abe, I think, could leave for a bigger job. And that, that's, it's, that's the difference there. But, yeah, I would say yes, that I think they will all be back um, next year. And, and, again, like Christian said, I think Coach Abe would be the most likely to not be back. You guys recently started your own UCF podcast. Where did you ever get such an idea like that? I mean, you guys, were you guys the first ones to come up with this? And how are you enjoying doing it so far? Yeah, we really, <laughs> yeah, no, we really just said, what's something that no one else in the world has done before? And that's what we came up with. Um, and then, and yeah, honestly, the way, Adam, they're the highest rated podcast after just a few episodes. Oh, that's the one. I've heard. Yeah. I've heard. Yeah, we overtook one night stands. Really cool. Um, but yeah, I uh, we originally came talking about it. I think it was basically this is all Bailey and I do is we just text each other UCF stuff. And we were talking about how both of us had gotten kind of because we've been we founded Night Sports now in 2017 and have mainly been writing there. And we've just with life going on had had less time to really commit to written work and writing out stories and things like that. So we thought what was a way that we could keep this going without having to, you know, take all the time for that and really keep that site going. So we sort of came up with, yeah, let's start on a podcast and we're on week, I think ninth episodes dropping tomorrow. So it's been, it's been a, it's been a fun blast so far, sort of venturing into that world. Yeah. Make sure you archive them so they don't get lost. We'll do. That's a good point. That's a really good point. And yeah, I think we've been enjoying it so far. And like he said, you know, we just, we talk all the time about UCF and, um, it just kind of was like, oh, why, why not have these conversations on on when we record them and, and see if people listen? So hopefully people are listening. Hopefully, hopefully people are enjoying it. Well, I listened, and now you're here on the Sons of UCF Live. <laughs> so it's paid off. Let's wrap up with this. Earlier when Mike was showcasing his uh, brackets and, and greatest plays in UCF football history, he featured a play from the 2013 Black Friday game against the Cows in what I consider the most horrible uniform combo. But Mike says that uh, you you remember it. It's so bad. It just sticks in your mind. Christian is the uniform expert. Is Mike right? It's just so bad it's good. I, I was listening to that and I was not happy. Um, <laughs> I, I think that the takeaway from that game was just never, ever, 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 ever trust pre-frost UCF to do the right thing with uniforms. Because <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember, but that game, I, I literally like that, they pitched that as a blackout game. Oh my goodness, it was so bad. Like my ticket for the game had them in an all black uniform. It was all, this is finally it. Then the game happens, they're doing that. And after the game, O'Leary first off said, we're burying the helmets, which I don't know why, because they won. And second that, uh, oh, he just didn't want to do a blackout. So they just at the last second switched to what might actually be the worst thing UCF has ever done. But the gold, the gold is spot on. Yeah, you can see it at night. It's crazy. (laughs) What about the all gold, the gold pants, gold shirt? Remember that one? He told me he told me the other day that he wants the all gold look to come back. I did not know. No, I did not say that. I would be down for all pewter, but that's it. Well, well Christian, I saw uh practice. We have new gold uh quarterback uh jerseys, non-contact jerseys, and new white uh practice helmets. I, I assume you're you're pro both of those changes. Absolutely. The, pra- the practice helmets have basically just been the leftover O'Leary helmets that had like the gold flex in them. 
and sort of they were like that glossy instead of more of like the not map but what they go for now so yeah having all new helmets is nice there and i honestly i don't know why more schools don't actually use a school color for the quarterback jerseys like as long as it's a different color like i, I don't think it's i don't think it's going to be that hard for them to be like okay we don't hit gold instead of don't hit red so i don't know why more schools don't do that but whatever happy ucf is carrying the design over to the practice field too guys where can folks find you on twitter and promote your podcast and your site you can go ahead and find us on twitter i'm at, at bailey j adams 22 christians at by ca simmons i don't know why i'm answering for him but you can uh, find our, our podcast the, the pegasus podcast everywhere you find your podcasts and uh, at night sports now as well Guys, thanks so much. Enjoy the conversation. Enjoy following you on Twitter and enjoy the show. And I like that Christian's voice got a little more excited during this when we turned to uniforms. Not that you were sedate before, but you got into it a little bit more. Guys, thanks so much. Go Knights and charge on. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us on. All right, so we talked a little bit of hoops. We talked women's hoops because we're a women's basketball school first now with the uh, tournament appearance. Uh, men's basketball, I will say this. They gave Memphis a game on Friday night before before falling 70-62 in the uh, AAC tourney. UCF, first time under Johnny Dawkins, finishing under 500, 11-12 on the season. But I don't know. I don't think Coach Dawkins is on a hot seat. Uh, you know, he's got a lot of talent coming back. I think something, Mike, you said on the uh, Sons of UCF pod on uh, earlier in the week is, this is an important year, though, for UCF coming up in this next season to get back in the conversation in the big dance. And uh, I, I'm really encouraged by the play of freshman Isaiah Adams uh, in the postgame media availability. Uh, Memphis coach uh, Penny Hardaway, I asked him uh, what he thought of one Isaiah Adams. And the freshman, Isaiah, has a, he has a bright future, man. Isaiah Adams is a player. He has gotten better and better every game. And uh, coach has a player on his hands. Yeah, I'm obviously high praise from from a guy like Penny Hardaway, right? I, and I said the same thing in the show this week, Trace. If you look at the last, you know, I don't know, whatever, two months of the season, I mean, UCF was basically, I think, seven and two in that stretch. Um, and two they, one they point losses, some, right? Yeah, and, and they played some really good hoops down the stretch up until the the last game against Memphis. So if you're a UCF fan, you saw that youth kind of gel together. Um, you're encouraged by that. Now, obviously, you, you recognize that you lose Darius Perry, who hit Maybe. some really big shots. Maybe. I guess that's fair. Who hit some big shots, some timely shots for UCF. But you got to be encouraged by what you saw out of Isaiah Adams. C.J. Walker seemed to find a little bit of an offensive niche. Darren Green got a little bit a little bit better at times. Jamil Reynolds, I think you saw some flashes there. So they, they had the pieces. They put it together. It just kind of makes you wonder a couple things. What if? What if that pause didn't happen? Because don't forget, this team also started off with a win uh, with Auburn and a win at Florida State. So we saw that they had potential. Then the COVID stuff hits. You know, they don't practice enough. They had some injuries, and all of a sudden, it all kind of falls apart. But they pull it back together. If you watch this Memphis game and didn't walk away, even though it was a loss, by the way, if you didn't walk away proud of how they fought, how they competed, how they played, then maybe you shouldn't be wearing black and gold because those guys fought their tail off. Yeah, it didn't it didn't you know manifest on the scoreboard, but it was it was still a proud moment for UCF. Hopefully, the future's bright. Um, there's some pieces there you gotta like. We haven't really seen Johnny put it all together yet, and and maybe it's not all his fault. Injuries have taken place and COVID and all that stuff. But I think Mike's right. This is a pivotal coming up uh, season for him because. You think pieces are there? You, you think they have the the youth? We're bringing in a, a couple of a couple of guys and recruit perspective. This this has got to be the upcoming year. Um, but you saw some flashes this year, and I think if you're a night fan, you got to be encouraged by that. I think it goes back to what we were just talking about with the football program, the expectations. And you guys have said it. Hey, at least we played good against Memphis. Uh, we had uh, Brian Murphy on last week. He didn't expect us to be within ten points. But I think we need to raise the expectations of the basketball program. It's been going backwards a little bit since we made the tournament a couple years ago. If we don't make some progress next year, at least get back in the top third of the American, then I'm sorry to say about Johnny Dawkins. I like him. I think he's a great guy. I think players play hard for him. But it's just not going anywhere. We, I want this pro, I want what's best for this program. I want to be in the dance, if not every year, at least be thought of to be in the dance. And on the bubble, close to it every year. And it's just not happening. It hasn't been that way in a long time. See, it's interesting you say expectations, but is that an unreasonable expectation? It doesn't have the same history as a, a Houston even or a Cincinnati, and they aren't in the mix. Look, 
Speaking of basketball, by the way, a big exodus out of Cincinnati and our friends over in Tampa embroiled in controversy uh, today. Uh, looks like six members of the, the Cows basketball team are going to enter the transfer portal and get out of there uh, following allegations that uh, uh, an assistant coach made some racially uh, insensitive comments. Uh, you hate to see it, don't you? You hate to see trouble in Tampa. But but the main point is, is that maybe the expectations, I, I just, what what are, I mean, Mike, you've laid out some expectations. I just don't know how fair they are for a program where UCF does not pour those same resources into basketball that they do, certainly football. I mean, maybe that's something we need to start working on. I, I, is it the fan base that we don't buy enough season tickets? We don't go enough and get basketball games? We don't support the program enough? What do we have to do to get this program to the next level? We hired a good coach. You think that's going to be the, the thing that gets you to that next level, and it just hasn't worked out. Uh, I don't know. We, we're a basketball school. We talked about this earlier in the year. Going back to before there was a football program with Bo Clark and Torchy, we were actually a basketball school. And now we have not been for a couple decades. You could argue, though, that the greatest run in UCF basketball, not Torchy Clark era, but Coach Dawkins has had more sustained success than, uh, than even Kirk Spearrock. Well, let's not forget. I mean, we're, we're in a tough league. I'm watching the game right now. Wichita State loses to Drake by one in, in the first oh, four, lost. whatever. They mm-hmm. lost by one. Uh, about six centimeters and a, and a desperation three at the buzzer. Uh, we've had a tough conference. And I think it, Mike brings up an interesting point is, you know, are we pouring enough resources into basketball? Uh, are we, you know, are we the facilities, the practice you know, stuff? Is, is everything, you know, in line to allow us to compete at that level? Now, some might say, what does a resource matter? Get a good kid, get good coaching, get good players. And, you know, they, they should be able to roll out the balls and, and, and figure it out. But you got to wonder, is there a commitment there? You felt like Danny had that, though, right? Danny White was a basketball guy. You would think if anybody, he was thinking about the basketball program. I, I don't know what Mohajer's stance will be on basketball. Mike and I talked about it on the show this week. His 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 hires or his coaches under uh, uh, under him at Arkansas State weren't exactly stellar. So does he have you know a, a, a pension for basketball? Will he be thinking about that from that perspective? Um, that's that's a fair question to ask. But I, I I think Mike's Mike's partially right. If we accept mediocrity, we'll we'll be mediocre. So what needs to take place uh, in order to uh, to take us to the next level? Is is it luck in the bottle? Is it one big recruit? Is it a new coaching change? Is it a buffet at the practice facility? Maybe it's all of the above, uh, but y- you got to wonder, w- will something need to change and what that change will be? But who do you get that's better than someone who's had the success that Johnny Dawkins has had? Remember, he won. He was in two NITs, right, at Stanford. Uh, NIT championships, right? And uh, I just don't know who you go out and get that's going to be better than him. You're going to get but an if we're gonna be fair. Assistant. If we're going to be fair, we said the same thing about Heupel, and we end up with Malzahn, right? And, and none of us would have said, hey, let's let's get Gus Malzahn in here. That wasn't even on the on the page. And I'm not saying Gus Malzahn's of the basketball world are walking around the street corner looking for work, but you never know, right? And, and I don't think any one of us sitting here on January 1st would have said, I can't wait for the Gus Malzahn era at UCF football. We all would have looked at each other like we were crazy. And yet here we are. So who knows who that person is? Again, it's a great, it's a fair question, Trace. I, I always, I hate when we fire their coach, but we don't have a replacement. Um, but I will also say you never know, right? You never know who will be available. You never know who Mahadra can pull strings with. And, you know, that's just the beauty of, uh, of of life. Sometimes the unknowns are right around the corner, but you don't know about it. You know, the question you ask about which of those three coaches wouldn't be here next year, I don't think there's a coach on campus that is on a hot seat. So to me, a struggling year for Johnny Dawkins next year would put him on a hot seat. I don't think he's on a hot seat now. I don't think Greg Lovelady's on a hot seat now, no matter what happens this season. I don't think there's a coach on campus that's on a hot hot seat. Well, how much of that has to do with the financial aspect where you're not going to be able to afford to fire a coach, still have to pay him, and then hire another one? I think that plays a little factor in it, too. Going around the kingdom real quick. Softball splits with uh, North Florida Wednesday night. Uh, night's 18-4. and four. Uh, we featured her most recently on the Sons of UCF. Senior pitcher Gianna Mancha, national and AAC pitcher of the week. They've got some big ones coming up uh, at 24 South Carolina Saturday for a doubleheader and Sunday. And then they welcome in number five Florida Gators Wednesday. Boy, a two and two or a three and one stretch against these teams could go a long way in uh, whether UCF could find itself hosting uh, in the NCAA postseason. So a big week for the Knights, 20th ranked. 
baseball seems to be uh, getting things together uh, a little bit better. Uh, they, they pick up the win. They beat FAU. So basically, Mike, they split with FAU, uh, lost two out of three uh, in Boca. They win at home. Um, ben McCabe, eighth inning grand slam in that one. He's had six home runs so far this season. Knights are seven and nine now. Uh, they go to Jacksonville. It's another one of those in-state things where they're playing home and away. They've got at Jacksonville Friday and Saturday, home to Jacksonville Sunday, at Florida State on Wednesday. Uh, it's still a uh, work in progress for Greg Lovelady's team. What does not help matters uh, is that, uh, I don't know if you saw the video, Matt Archer celebrating following the, uh, the walk-off win on Sunday, tears his ACL during the celebration. His season is over. You definitely do not want to see that. Yeah, that's frustrating to see, right? I mean, uh, you know, y- you saw the play and you saw everyone kind of gathered around him and you were kind of hoping it wasn't too bad. It's it's, it's kind of rarity. It's kind of the fluke moments of sports, right? It's kind of a Martin Grammatica. I got the field goal and I tore my ACL in the same time. Uh, it's obviously not that same, but um, you hate to see somebody get hurt in a play like that. Yeah, I thought Kendry's Morales, I think it was the angel that yeah. hit the home run, jumped on home plate, and tore up his – um, but baseball overall starting to play a lot better. Get back to 500 now. I think we can do that before conference play, and then it's a whole new season after that. Yeah, that's fair. It's a whole new season once conference play begins. As the show draws to a close, some NFL notes uh, today. Uh, Brashad Perryman, featured in one of your clips uh, earlier, Mike, signs with the Lions, a, a one-year, $3 million deal. The Lions, however, lose kicker Matt Prater. He signs a a two-year contract with the Cardinals, and it looks like maybe Matt Wright, Matty Ice, might be in contention for that Lions kicking job, so that'd be something to follow. Adrian Killens, two-year deal with the Eagles, uh, which is interesting. Uh, They see something in him, right? And uh, of course, big news earlier in the week, Shaquille Griffin uh, leaving Seattle, going to be closer to home with Jacksonville. Uh, that a $44.5 million deal, three-year contract with Jacksonville. Not official yet, but it looks like Shaquem will be coming with him from Seattle to Jacksonville. Suddenly, Jacksonville, UCF North again. We like them again. Uh, they had a lot of UCF guys and then lost them. So our uh, Jacksonville-based correspondent, Adam, uh, will have to give us uh, all the lowdown on the Jags throughout the season. And Justin McCray more quietly signed a two-year deal with Houston. So some nights in the NFL. Uh, you like to see some of those moves, especially the guys uh, in Jacksonville, because uh, certainly uh, Shaquille can make an immediate impact. And good for him. $29 million guaranteed on that contract. Really, really good money for him. Good for him. Uh, Jacksonville's looking to rebuild their secondary. they got a couple young pieces that they're, they're bringing in. Uh, they had C.J. Henderson, the first-rounder from Florida a couple years back. He struggled last year, but we'll see what he brings to the table. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if Shaquem comes with them. I think they've been a little non-committal, right? That's the expectation. And in his pressure today, Shaquille basically said he told uh, he told Queen, go where you want to go. Don't Don't have to follow me. Uh, obviously, I'm, I'm assuming he'd love to come back to Florida, love to be closer to home. So we'll see if that connection makes makes sense. But Matt Prater, um, best all-time UCF uh, player in the NFL? Yes or no? Yeah. I, I still got to go with Brandon Marshall or Asante okay. Samuel. That's fair. Yep. Prater has a longer career and I guess maybe more um, – what do you want to call it? accolades or accomplishments? Maybe yeah. Pro Bowls, if you look at it that way. But the kicker, it's different. You just and don't like can kickers. Play, he can play <laughs> for another ten years as a kicker and, and compile a bunch of numbers too. Yeah, as Chris Morazzo uh, brings up a good point, Prashad now playing where his father had uh, success uh, with the Detroit Lions. What about Charlie Hewlett? A longtime career with the uh, the Cleveland Browns. He might be our most successful, sustained. Uh, player in the NFL. So will we see your guest this week on the Sons of UCF one Otis Anderson uh, make it in the NFL? I enjoyed the interview with him. There were a lot of good takeaways. One that I thought a lot about afterwards was how difficult it was for him. He had to be in meetings with the running backs, uh, had to have conversations with the wide receiver group. He had to talk to the special teams folks. I mean, he had to be all over the place. Uh, taken in uh, plays and practiced. And I, I thought that when you think about how much he had to do, uh, I was impressed with how he handled himself. Yeah, you put me in a tough spot every week, Trace, because you asked me to find one sound clip of these interviews, and there's so much good stuff in some of these. And Otis was was really a... Um, 
just offered a lot of good perspective. I think his perspective on, you know, how Frost leaving and sort of how his reaction was then and, and, and the rest of the guys, Hypo coming in, playing new positions, you know, adapting to, to punt return. Uh, what he thought about 2020, the COVID stuff. He talked about his grandparents and thinking about whether or not he wants to even play this year. But I, the, the, clip I, uh, the clip I chose this week was was really something that I think is interesting when you think about where we are now is we've had a chance, and it feels like maybe it's because you know Mike and I are getting older. We've seen these kids grow up and almost. like I, I feel like I've seen some of these kids go from, from youth to adults. And I thought there was one comment Otis made when we kind of uh, talked about you know what, what's happening with UCF right now that really showed the maturity and kind of, kind of showed how we saw this kid go from an 18-year-old to, you know, to a 20-year-old adult ready to go to the next level. So here's his response when we asked him a little bit about what he thought about the current UCF guys and, and the change to Gus Malzahn. I thought this was really telling in terms of sort of watching a, a kid grow uh, grow up right in front of your eyes? Uh, I'm I'm super proud because, you know, it, it's, it's two sides of a coin in every situation. And I, I believe that, you know, they picked the best side of the coin. Um, embrace embrace it because, what I mean, what can you do? If, if Levy's not brought in, you can't pout forever. You know, you got to move forward. And, um, I think this is a good life lesson for him just – you know, nothing's going to always go your way. Um, nothing's going to be perfect. You're not going to get what you want all the time, but you're going to get what you need. Um, so maybe that this maybe this is the, what UCF needed, and maybe this is what the players – he's a mentor that the players need as well. I mean, the unintentional Rolling Stone uh, line dropped there. But, again, I just thought it spoke to his maturity, where he is now as a 22-year-old. And if you listen to the first part of the interview, when he was an 18-year-old, dealing with the emotions of, of Scott Frost leaving and how he thought about that, to how he feels about it now, I mean, I feel like you saw that growth and maturity. And he's one of those kids that I feel like we've, we saw him grow up for four years. And, and I thought that clip just kind of accentuated um, what that growth looks like. It even gives you a little bit of tell about, Wemby, what's going on with, with some of the kids today and some of the guys on the team right now. The great thing about Otis and years from now is you remember certain moments and he gave us some great ones. The screen pass against the blitz against the cows and some of the biggest games, a touchdown in the peach bowl, the peace out touchdown, even the punt return in the loss. That play is iconic of his career. Just a lot of great moments from the kid and a very nice guy too. And I will hope him, I wish him the best going forward. Hopefully he makes an NFL team. Always one of my most enjoyable interviews, especially during media day before the start of the football season, because you can just have a real down-to-earth conversation with him. Let me ask this question. UCF Athletics Hall of Famer in the future for what he did during his time at UCF? I mean, I have to couch that by saying I feel like the the UCF Hall of Fame is – kind of, I don't know, fallen off the last couple of years. Are we even electing classes? I feel like there, there's so much that needs to be COVID. considered COVID. there. But if, if you're going to tell me everything's baseline, we're doing classes each year and so on and so forth. Um, here's, here's the stat I would tell you. I think he, I tried to do the math the other day. Um, I think he's got the, uh, he's part of the, the winningest class of UCF history, right? I think I have it at 41 and eight, if I have that number right. So I think that 17, 18, 19, 20 class. I mean, they won what they won 13, they won 12. Uh, then they won 10, and then they won six uh, with only eight losses. I mean, he's part of the winningest class in UCF history. Um, obviously, two New Year's Six Bowls while he was there. Uh, one of the most electric players. I think his stats are going to be interesting because he played so many positions over the field that, you know, if he just played running back for four years, would he have different stats? If he was just a receiver, would they be different? Um, I would give it to him. I think he he's one of those you know those those first name guys from that class, and to have one of the most, if not the most successful class at UCF, I think he would deserve consideration to get in there. He's right in the mix there with AK and Greg McCray and names like that, even Gabe Davis, Marlon Williams, those guys. It depends on where you want to draw the line for Hall of Famers. If you want to just set it at the very top, that you're talking about guys like Dante, Kevin Smith, Mackenzie Milton. If you have a little wiggle room, then you get this next tier of guys in, and then he can get in. Got to get some more kickers in there. By the way, Mike, uh, did you prepare the 20 seconds on the clock question, or was that just an impromptu? Because I'm surprised Adam didn't choose that as the sound clip when when Otis struggled to name superheroes. I think he got six or seven. I've done it once before. I forgot who I asked. How many? I think it was Josh Lynham, right? How many cheeses he can Jesus, name? Jesus, yeah, it was Jesus, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I tried to mix it up. I was going to go with cheeses again to see who would want, win, but uh, I switched it to superheroes last second. I also Always not sure how official 
I'm not sure how official those 20 seconds were. I didn't I didn't count. I thought he had eight by my count, but maybe I I was I was not listening very well. No, I timed it and he had six. It was good. Yeah, he started he started going and then my yeah. five, four, he said three. Did he say he said Robin, right? Is Robin a superhero? I mean, he's there with Batman. He's got the uniform. Okay, got the I got a uniform on right now. I'm not a superhero. I got a shacket. I'm not a superhero. I don't know. I, I heard Robin. I didn't want to argue with the kid because he seemed like such a good guy. But Robin, I was like, are we, are we there with that? I don't know. Are we talking about uh, Burt Ward Robin with the, with Adam West? And yes. Okay. Not quite well, so Was he? Robin. He didn't seem to know the, who the Rolling Stones were when he tried to throw that out there. He's, he didn't really seem to bite on the Rolling Stones drop there. So I, I don't know if he's on the Adam West Batman trail just yet. Before we close out, Mike, one more time, promote the uh, greatest plays in UCF history where folks can vote. Follow me on Twitter at UCF Mike One. I'm also posting them in the dungeon. So one of the games uh, matchups this week, there was a, I think it was one of the eight nines. The Twitter vote went one way, but not by much. And then the, the dungeon vote went hard the other way. So I had to award it. It was the AK. No, it was it was actually the Otis one, one of the Otis touchdowns. And plus he was on the show this week, so I gave him the win. And it was over the Storm Johnson run. But on Twitter, on Facebook, I'm posting the memories on there, but I couldn't figure out how to do a poll. So Dungeon and Twitter, you can vote and, and follow us for the next couple of weeks. And you're archiving all of these on your YouTube page, right? That you can find uh, the clips as well. I posted the first few on YouTube, and then I don't know why it just stopped letting me upload onto YouTube. So I'm going to try again and see if I can get them back on there. And but yeah, I'm going to try to add those two. Some of them are already there. And it's on, a good on trip Twitter, memory lane. On Twitter, if you search the hashtag UCF Greatest Plays, uh, Mike's hashtagging all of them. They'll all come up that way as well too. So if you want to see them all in one big string, just hit the uh, hit the hashtag UCF Greatest Plays, and all of Mike's hard work will be there for you um, to uh, to enjoy. It's been fun, man. I, I love cutting up the videos, and the hardest part for me was just typing out the bracket because, but actually thinking of the plays and ranking them and, and do it, watching the videos—that's been a great time for me. I think the universal thing that tells you this is interesting, Mike, is that you're not seeing a lot of argument about the seating. I mean, UCF argues about whether or not tacos are better than burritos, right? That's what our fan base does. But you haven't seen a ton of argument over your seeds, and which I think I think maybe means you nailed it a little bit, right? I know some people are trying to figure out how to vote because they're trying to figure out is it play, how important it is, but that's obviously their interpretation. But not a ton of dispute with your seeding. I think that may be one of the biggest wins in UCF history. It's been going mostly to chalk. The only upsets we've had are a couple of the 10-7 matchups. But to me, the 7, 8, 9, 10s, those were all throw them up in a blender. And, I mean, you could rank any one of them any direction. We haven't had a big 11-6 upset or a 13-4. We may be in for a couple because a couple of ones coming up are yeah. some old-school stuff that maybe the young guys have uh, no yeah. idea what I'm talking about when I say Bobby Apologies. for the first touchdown. Apologies to Franco Grilla's family because that's not going to go well. I, I feel bad for for the three seed Franco Grilla, but it should it should it should <laughs> I'm win. I'm not saying it should. Bobby Joe Plain and Franco Grilla. I mean, apologies to your families. It's uh, it's going to be a rough couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to when you do this matchup with the greatest plays in soccer, men's and women's soccer history. That's that's what I'm looking forward to. So get that going. Uh, the voting will just be through the roof. All right, guys, it's been enjoyable as always. More spring practice coming up. We'll slice and dice some plays. This time slot, by the way, Mike, 8 o'clock next Thursday. Be here. We're starting without you anyway. So uh, for Adam and Mike, I'm Trey Strolko. Go Knights. Charge on. Charge on. Sports Social Podcast Network.